0: Welcome once again to All Fired Up. I'm so excited to bring you this week's incredible conversation. I was speaking with Tracy Brown RD and she is a Florida-based dietitian and she's also a somatic nutrition coach. So what she's really all about is helping people get back into their bodies and we just had the best conversation about how kind of pissed off she is and also pissed off I am about sort of the general idea of trying to help people get better in a world that's just so sick and trying to help people get better with their relationships with food and their body when the entire culture that we live in just disregards that completely and actively makes us leave our body. So this is a really fascinating conversation and I really hope that you guys get a lot out of hearing the ins and outs of embodiment and disembodiment and how culture impacts on that. And thank you to Tracy too for being so incredibly honest and frank because in this conversation she really reveals a lot about her story and her experience because in addition to being a health professional Tracy has lived experience with an eating disorder so it's incredibly real and incredibly raw and I really hope you get a lot out of it so without further ado here is me and Tracy. So Tracy welcome thank you so much for coming.
1: Louise, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really fired up to get a chance to talk to you from a whole different country. It's so exciting to get to talk and touch people all over the world. And yeah. I'm here and I am super fired up about the fact that we've got to recover. And I use the word recover. That could be disordered eating. That could be diet trauma. But I'm super fired up about the fact and ticked off that we're going to have to like do it in a very sick Western culture. (laughs) And what I mean by that is you doing your hard work, listening to these podcasts, doing your work with your professionals, your support groups, reading the books, all the things you're doing, and then walking out the door out of your bubble and recognizing, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. like people don't get it that I am trying to like be okay with the body I have in a culture that every day tells me like you're too much and your needs are too much. And what you're going for is too much versus, Mm you know, in terms of being okay with yourself. So I'm pretty fired up about that today. Mm -hmm. And I also want to talk about the role of how we've just been taught not to even know how to be in our bodies. And Mm -hmm. that is, that's a travesty because our bodies have so much rich wisdom Mm -hmm. to give us in terms of not just recovery, but living more fully. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad to get to talk about all that kind of stuff today.
0: Oh, I just absolutely adore this topic because it fires me right up too that this, as you say, it's like in the work that we do in the therapy sessions and in our lovely bubble like online communities and, you know, we are aware of what we're trying to do. And there's so much that we're trying to do. We're trying to be at home in our bodies. We're trying to resist that kind of diet mentality. We're trying to eat intuitively and move for joy. And we're trying to be just comfortable in our own skin. And it's just friggin' outrageous how all of that is sort of not the norm in our culture. What the hell?
1: Absolutely. I just want to share something so I don't forget it. Mm-hmm. And I we can kind of talk about my how I got here a little bit. But I, have, I was actually literally doing a client session today. And I told her, I hate to break it to you. But for you to be in a position where you feel okay with taking up space, there's going to be some willingness to like not be normal because – most people have some body dissatisfaction. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of the reality. And so if you're talking about, let's say this intuitive eating journey you're on or making peace with your body and how you don't want to like diet anymore and you're done with it all. And you wanted to learn to accept your body. They're going to look at you sometimes. And some people are going to be probably will say to you like, well, Louise, don't you know that like everybody hates their body or like doesn't Mm -hmm. like parts of their body? And if you don't feel some indignation about that, it's okay that you, if you're suppressing that, stop suppressing it because that will help you recognize like, oh my gosh, I'm really in some ways going upstream with this, but be excited Mm -hmm. because you don't have to settle. Like this process can really help you be better, right? I'm using quotes, but be Mm -hmm. better than normal. Like we're not born and we're not made for this to feel like, oh, well, I'll do all this hard work and then I'll just get to where like, eh, you know, I'm halfway there.
0: Screw that. Mm, mm, Yeah, asking and expecting something better for you than what the majority of the world is going through. And it comes from a place not of competitiveness but from just a sense of worthiness, I think, which is a real risky word to say because to say that you're worthy in our culture is sort of looked at with a bit of suspicion, like what's Mm. going on there? (laughs) What do you mean you're worthy? You're not worthy unless you've perfected your body. You're not worthy unless you've, you know, pretty much lived up to all the expectations of diet culture. But the idea that you can be worthy just as you are without always trying to fight and shift things is...
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, I love it, but I, (laughs) I do get how scary it is for people.
1: I love that you use the word competition because when you opt out of that game, it's kind of fun. There's so much freedom there because it's like, oh, well, it's not fair that we have to like try to recover in a fat phobic, sin obsessed world. But when you kind of see what it's like, it's kind of a red herring, a shell game. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't even have to play by those rules anymore. I'm not saying that that's easy to do. You might not get there in the first six months or the first two weeks or the first two years mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. pursuing intuitive eating or body neutrality or whatever labels you want to kind of call it. But it's like, just remember that this is just a construct mm. in terms of like that there's a wrong or right body to have. I know it sounds a little out there, but once you start to see like, oh my goodness, like when you really look at a person, I think Reagan Chastain said this, there's only two things, you know, it's actually what they look like in any level of life of inner story or prejudice you have about what, how that person looks like, what that means to you.
0: Mm. Mm, yeah yeah and so
1: recognizing that's the game that's going on, I was like oh I know it doesn't mean that it's not scary to think that like you know if I don't try to like take up less space and if I stop trying to shrink this belly or this whatever size or body or type or whatever if I don't like there's a possibility and that's there's real vulnerability in there that if I don't if I stop playing that game that people might judge me it's totally a real possibility that mm-hmm. being human and being really fully human is pretty messy Mm, mm. Embodiment is messy, meaning like I feel stuff. Yeah. And I'm not above it all because I'm restricting or I'm like caught up in a binging cycle or whatever it is. Like that takes the degree of feeling out of that experience. But when you're really in it, I mean, that takes a lot of guts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you mentioned embodiment. And I wonder if you could give us a definition of what is embodiment, maybe what is disembodiment? What are we talking about here?
1: You know, I should have probably looked up a dictionary definition. When I think of the word,
0: you know, embodiment, it's kind
1: of being in, being all in. It's like sometimes being human, yeah, you're going to be vulnerable to like what people and the feelings you have about what people think about you, let's say, or you're going to be vulnerable to like share something with somebody that might not be accepted and or recepted in the way that you want. Or it could be that you get like this really beautiful day really touches you when you're feeling all of it. Mm. Then that seems to be really embodied. And that's part of the intuitive being process, obviously, is that when you're going to food and you're checking in with yourself of like, is that the best match? And how does that feel? That's part of being embodied too, because you're just really being in the moment you're, mm. and you're living below the neck, basically.
0: <laughs> oh, that's it, right? Embodiment is living below the neck. Like in your body. So, in your body. So, disempowering
1: would be like all the food rules and what does everybody think and what's going to happen tomorrow? And then, what should I Mm -hmm. eat to like feel more comfortable tomorrow or next week? Or what? It's all of that trying to grasp for certainty Mm -hmm. to avoid feeling uncomfortable. And it's not our fault. I mean, I don't know about you, Louise, but I don't think I had that many years certainly below 18 years old embodied at all. And definitely mm-hmm. in my 20s, it was like a, a climb and a scratch to get there. Now that I'm approaching 40 this year, it's I would say there's definitely some parts of my day that I'm all there. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. something it's like, wait a minute, it's already 7 p.m.? okay, I got here somehow and I think that's really human too, but I don't think there's going to be perfection in that.
0: No, but it's about asking yourself, where am I in or am I out? And you're right. I mean, it's so sad, but I look at my life and I was pretty much embodied, I guess, like living from the neck down until maybe sort of eight or nine years old. And then I left. Like, I realize now that that's when I left. That's when I started listening. And when I say left, I mean, I kind of went into my head with my relationship Mm. with my body. So I remember Hilary and Dana from Be Nourished talk about this beautifully when they talk about most, particularly girls, but a lot of um, kids are taught to disembody. They're taught to leave their bodies by being given messages from the world about what their bodies should look like as opposed Mm. to what it feels like to be in your body. And they talk about this concept of leaving home. Like, how old were you when you left home? Which I think is lovely. And also really sad because most of my clients leave home very early as well. And we stop living in our bodies and start sort of policing our bodies. And I think this
1: thing comes to the stages for people. Like, I have a similar... It's funny, I use very similar language to Hillary and Dana about, like, you know, coming home to ourselves and that kind of thing. And I think most of our, our clients, if you or anyway, listening to this, you could probably do a timeline and look mm-hmm. back. Okay. So when was around food and body? And I always ask clients, not just like, when was the first time you like dieted or had food and you kind of like hid the wrappers on your bed because you knew you weren't supposed to be doing it, quote unquote. It was, when was the first time you ever felt like food or weight was a thing that was even mm-hmm. in your head because little kids Unless they're tampered with, basically, of like getting that message that your body's not okay or you need too much or what you want is too much or bad. Just our moment to moment, oh, I mm. want that or I don't want this or I'm full or I'm not, and mm. or move and I mm. wiggle or I don't.
0: They're just eating their bodies. I've got a, a six year old and a 10 year old, and that they are both still in their bodies. And it's delicious to watch. Mm-hmm. I learn a lot mm-hmm. from exactly. them. Mm.
1: Yeah. So I think everybody, I would love that if they listen to this time that we're spending together and think about either afterwards or during it, just to take a second to do a little timeline of when was the first time you remember it being a thing. And for me, yeah, eight years old and being body compared to my sister. And then at like, you know, 13, when I remember my, both my grandmother and my mother, like destroying themselves about the size of their bellies. And it gave me this message of like, Oh, it's not okay to even have a belly, like one that's actually visible. Mm and it did make you pop out like, okay, I got to watch that. And it put get me, gave me this like mental, you know, it was a seed planted of like, well, don't mm-hmm. be too much because you'll hate yourself and you'll be miserable. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, like who wants to grow up and have that? Like you oh, said, screw, yeah. screw that. But we I all remember having those it. thoughts when I was young. And that was way before the eating disorder happened. You know, I started to start restricting till I was 16. And it wasn't even a thought that those moments that I should restrict. It was just a thought of like, oh, there's a better body to have. And it popped me out of myself feeling like I was okay. I was no longer okay anymore at eight and at 13. And then, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't like something, boom, even was what happened that day. And when I do these timelines with my clients, sometimes it's before that. They have messages when they're three or they're five or they're whatever age. And they're just, Mm -hmm. they're just compared in dance class or they go to the pediatrician and they're, parents like well it's okay now but you better watch it kids remember this stuff and it is a seed that like later manifests it always is
0: absolutely there's some research that recently came out here in Australia I think from Melbourne about internalized weight stigma so at what how old are kids when they realize and I quote unquote realize when they kind of internalize that idea that fat is bad and thin is good and I Very think good. I remember the research saying it's it shows up at three and four years old and by the time kids are seven it's really obviously there so isn't that just so young yeah and it's not necessarily going to manifest an eating
1: disorder at that age but then as more moments of disembodiment or trying to cope in some kind of ways and the pressure builds and all those mm-hmm. external and internal things build, then you can see how that environment's like, it's not a big shock and when we talk with our clients, like, of course. And I was like, mm-hmm. of course you're here.
0: Of course. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm always saying to clients, like you didn't stand a chance of liking mm-hmm. your body. None of us stood a chance of growing up and still being embodied and still being okay with ourselves. Like we are so up against it in this culture. And you're right, not everyone gets an eating disorder from experiences of disembodiment. However, most humans have, I guess, what's called normative discontent where most humans don't like their bodies, feel like their bodies aren't good enough. And like that's another thing, you know, that's the so-called normal and that is the shit that's just not good enough, right? Absolutely. So, Laura, maybe we can come back to some of the,
1: the somatic stuff that I know I haven't t- talked much about. I haven't even talked much about maybe too much about who I am and what I do and how I got to some of this, not only just being an intuitive eating, I guess, nutrition therapist and dietitian and embodiment coach and all that. So I um, would love to hear that story because, you know, our stories are part of it. Absolutely. So I do think that I want to make a little statement about shame is that, and this is something I talk a lot about in other think talks I've done and a lot, a ton of my sessions is like, you know, shame is like, is neurobiological and meaning it happens in our bodies. And it also happens in a relationship. And we don't just get shame because and shame is meant to be repaired. And that's the difference between probably a lot of people who end up struggling with a lot of things that maybe some, those instances that happen where something can happen, but the shame is repaired. And so many people that struggle with food things, shame happened over and over. Oh and over yeah. And, over. and there was just no repair.
0: Shame is met with more shame, more shaming. Yeah. Mm. It
1: just gets reinforced, and it just starts to become a way of operating, basically. And then people get hyper vigilant about avoiding the shame, mm. which you can see. You can see how like that would be a function of like having food rules or mm-hmm. having rituals or just trying to ri- diet <laughs> just, yeah, just trying to it. diet. It's just yeah. avoiding shame, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that is so much of what my story is, is, you know, I was just a super sensitive kid and I don't, again, I don't do the blame thing, you know, with families. Yeah. Like we're all doing the best we can with the tools we got. And so mm-hmm. if you have your environment only coming in with this like like 50% onboard capability to be present to things, you're going to feel like the things that don't fit into what people can be present for are wrong. Yeah. And feel, and feel shame about that. So whether it's food, body, emotions, whatever. So, so a lot of my, the seeds for me planted were really so much about emotions. And as the years went by, by the time I became a teenager, there were so many things that just had built up for me with body and without in terms of like being worthy, being enough, being accepted, not being too much. It just was just a big implosion (laughs) into an eating disorder. over time I was 16. Wow. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, I struggled really hardcore for about two years. And the thing is, I was very lucky to get past the worst of anorexia. But this is where things, unfortunately, for a lot of us get worse. It's like, okay, you weight restore, and everybody thinks you're fine. Mm -hmm. You have, like, your body looks normal, quote, quotes, but then you are still struggling with, like, again, diet culture and all the rules and now it's like, now you're not quote-unquote looking bad anymore nobody cares.
0: <laughs> and oh, wow. I spent
1: probably seven years of purgatory in that place. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think
0: so much eating disorder treatment is focused on weight, which is half the problem because well, an eating disorder really is about the head much more than whatever's happening in the body.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we need like that really proper renourishment and getting to a, a natural weight, whatever that is, whether that's culturally acceptable or not, that has to happen because yeah. if you're restricting and for me it's we just switched from restricting to binging so it's like okay I had to deal with the other end of the spectrum because it's like I still have the food rules so Mm -hmm. I would think I should diet every single day which I wasn't even restricting anymore it would just cause me to binge out of panic of like I'm going to starve again
0: yeah just the thought of a diet is enough to trigger the binge yeah Mm. yeah and so
1: imagine you don't look like you're sick anymore, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but I was just as struggling as it ever was when I was quote, with the underweight label, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this is a really important message I want everybody to hear is that it doesn't matter what the outside looks like so much. It's like, if you're not renourished, it's going to kind of put you in this deprivation driven eating cycle. And I want you to stop right the second and give yourself some compassion because food has to normalize no matter what weight you are. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm that has to happen. So anyway, that kind of like that place of being really, at this point, really wasn't that much treatment because the people I were with didn't understand that level one of weight prejudice and the diet culture soup we live in. I just Mm -hmm. looked better. and I was functioning better. And I was in school, by the way, to be Mm -hmm. a dietitian, of course. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And what's funny about that is like, as I was having these realizations about like, Oh, okay. So when I think about not eating carbs, it makes me binge on carbs. So eventually it dawned on me by the time I was a senior year or last year in my undergrad to be a diet, at least the, not the the internship part, but to be a dietitian, it was like, you know, I see all my friends around me. who were all different shapes and sizes. I'm with them for a lot of meals and they're bigger. So what makes me think that like, they're not supposed to be what the, I started really questioning everything I was learning. Yeah. And I had the really blessed benefit of, of finding a nine diet dietitian who just give me permission to eat whatever I wanted. So here I am with this renegade dietitian. <laughs> and I'm in my last year learning all this stuff about medical nutrition therapy and like good food, bad food, honestly. Oh my Where God.
0: Like, Holy mm. cow.
1: Like, and how to do counseling. And I'm like, if I, I'm kind of screwed. Like if I don't find a way, because I can't collude with this stuff that I'm learning how to get free now. I've learned about intuitive eating. This is like 1999, 2000. If I started really seriously with intuitive eating in 2003, but it took me a couple of years to fully, I'm going to use the word surrender because I was still like one foot in both camps, which most of us do. Mm -hmm. So again, have compassion for that, that it sometimes takes a little bit of time to be really ready for it. But I just recognize like, oh my gosh, I'm either going to have to learn how to be some kind of dietitian who gives people permission to eat and not care about their weight so much. And I had no label for that. Or I'm just going to have to go back to school for something else or just whatever, because this isn't going to (laughs) work.
0: Oh, wow. Um, So, So again, like what you're seeing in the world as quote unquote normal was really different to like what's actually healthy for you.
1: Right. So it's like, if anybody can relate to this, I bet all our clients can relate to this. So here I am doing food journals for, you know, class to, you know, analyze yeah. and faking them all, faking one because I know <laughs> that what I'm really eating is gonna probably get, like, shamed in class.
0: Oh, wow, I'm sure you yeah. are so not alone in dietetics in that.
1: Right, so I share with my clients that, like, us nine dietitians, we don't judge, because it's, like, you're not gonna, like, blow our socks off, you know, if you come in here eating, like, whatever it <laughs> is, mm. you know, and we've had to do it all to like really get free. So don't mm. be ashamed. <laughs> but if you mm. are, we understand that when you think you're going to be policed, it's going to feel too exposing. Mm. You know, mm. if you're, yeah. if you're thinking you're going to get judged. So anyway, so long story short, I'm trying to be fast about this, is that a couple me- meandering years, I finally decided like, okay, I can't be a regular dietitian. And so I sought out some really excellent mentorship and training and worked with a person for like nine years. She was like steeped in, she's like, generation before us and I was so lucky again to find her oh who was that um Karen Cortina so I worked with her for about nine years and did like pretty hardcore weekly many hours a week supervision for about three years with her and then went on my own I guess about four years ago and then yeah just doing I I didn't really even have much of a career before this to be honest I was a little clinical so I've always been helped at every size and I was again lucky to like stumble upon it because it's like, what am I going to do? I was in panic mode of like, I got to find something because otherwise I'm mm-hmm. going to
0: quit. But you knew, yeah. right? You knew deep in your heart that this was not safe. Like traditional yeah. dietetics practice wasn't safe.
1: Well, it just dawned on me because of that shame mm-hmm. loop that people get in. It's like, I can't do this to people. There's no way that everything I went through can be for nothing. One, that like I could shame people the way that internalized voice wasn't in me because I would just be doing the same thing to people There's no way I could ever do it You know, I couldn't even get the words out let alone like live with myself and mm-hmm. just recognizing that like And I knew because of all my struggles with like weight up and down and even though I still ended up recovering in a privileged size body, you know The hell is there for everybody. It was especially hard for people who don't match the ideal and I recognize like that's just not ethical I can't do it mm-hmm. And so anyway, that's a kind of where I ended up. I've been doing this for 12 years and how I really, you know, I was cranking along, helping mm. people with all kinds of sore eating, all kinds of like, I'm done with dieting and I want to make peace. I want you to know, help me do this, Tracy. Mm. And I started to recognize that like, and that was going great. And I started to recognize, though, there was just like, you know, there are some people that were really able to be more in their bodies than other. And they will come to me, maybe for the same, the same issues, but some people have a lot more struggles. And I started to see like, well, what's the difference? Hmm. And I think it would come down to like, what our lineage with resiliency and our window of tolerance for emotion was. And that was a difference between some people. And again, I heard from a couple of colleagues, the name Peter Levine. I'm like, who is, what is this guy? And what is this book, Waking the Tiger? And I started, mm-hmm. it was the work trauma work. And I'm like, oh my goodness, he's talking yeah. about the body and using the body to help people just be able to tolerate sensation more. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I live in the world of the body. And I have these clients that like, they're doing good and all of a sudden the bottom crashes out and they can't feel their hunger and fullness again and they forget things and
0: they leave their body. Yeah. They leave their
1: body so much and they Mm. can't stay in. I'm like, my gosh, this is the missing piece, at least what I thought it was. This was like about Mm. six years ago I stumbled upon this. And this has been my rabbit hole ever since is teaching about how to just one little molecule and one inch of a neural pathway at a time, growing safety in the body to be more embodied, to not be so hypervigilant. And Mm. that's a neurobiologic thing. You can't convince people to like feel safer in their bodies. <laughs> you yeah, can't yeah. tell people it's okay. You're in 2018. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore by eating full.
0: Ah, so why, you, can't, you can't just give them a tip sheet on how to be embodied.
1: Well, that, and just kind of recognize it that neurobiologically. That's, it's like people yeah. feel a lot of shame for like, why can't I just do this? What's wrong yeah. with me? Yeah. Why do I like, and I want to say, it's not your fault. It's like, we've got to help your body just one little bit at a time recognize it's only operating this way because this is how I needed to do for survive to survive something in the past or many somethings in the past. And this is just it's standard operating procedure. And so we've got to give it another way before this other way is just not necessary anymore. Mm, And so how I do that is not only with the hunger fullness work but just in general like when a client is in this and again I, I tend to get a lot of clients who are just highly sensitive and over-functioning mm-hmm. like they could do the job of two people and they try to overdo and mm-hmm. do too much and be very pleasing yeah them by and got them through and got positive regard when other things just weren't making sense and didn't work and didn't work. so anyway my mm-hmm. job is really to help people slow things down as much as they can tolerate. And not only with using hunger fullness work to do that, which is a really good tool, mm-hmm. but also with, you know, what would it be like before you got out of bed this morning? Instead of focusing when you slow down, your first response might be get to hypervigilant to what doesn't feel good. I want you to find something at least in your body, if you scan your body laying in bed that minimally feels neutral.
0: Okay. And that so might be, that, yeah. that
1: might be your, your pinky finger, that might be the tip of your nose. And once you start doing that, you have to slow everything down and you don't have to do that very long. If it's just 30 seconds you can tolerate or two minutes or 10 minutes you can tolerate. Beautiful.
0: Because that might
1: be the most embodied you've been in 20 years. (laughs)
0: Lovely. And it's so accessible, isn't it? Because it's not threatening if we're just trying to like lie in bed and pay attention to our pinky fingers. It's, hopefully not so triggering. Yeah. It's like a little dip into coming home.
1: Just a little dip, just do a little dip. And if it feels, if that even feels too invasive or if that feels like, Whoa, okay, I don't even like this.
0: Then Mm.
1: maybe start from the outside in, which is, can you put your hand on your midline, which is like kind of your middle of your chest, you know, and just put a little pressure there. Can you tolerate that? Or can you tolerate drinking some water and feeling what that feels like?
0: Mm, mm. like, So really mm, mindfully paying attention to some sensation in your body Mm -hmm. Mm.
1: and it can be as slow as that and I tell my clients we can only go as fast as the slowest pieces of us can go
0: Mm -hmm. and And for those who are listening who um, might be hearing about stuff like this for the very first time what would be the point in that
1: the point is that like this is for people that sometimes if you're feeling like you're really I use this for one of my clients that the hunger fullness work is hard. Maybe they're eating enough, but sometimes they just get kind of lost. I'm like, am I hungry right now? Can I trust this feeling? Can I trust this sensation? Like, what yeah. is that? Yeah. And so I'm doing this work right along with the hunger fullness work. It's not separate. It's just an additional piece that helps people get more practice. Just mm-hmm. keep practicing. Because embodiment, again, if you lost that when you were five or 10 mm-hmm. or 16 or mm-hmm. pieces of it, you can do it with like maybe your... Like you could tolerate being in a bathtub, but you can't tolerate like feeling strong hunger or feeling strong fullness, or even just feeling not so mm. hungry. Mm. Maybe, mm. maybe another tool could help you like, okay, this is just one little step further that yeah. might help me make it a little bit more tolerable to like today I can tolerate feeling a little bit of hunger and not rush off to go eat something the second. Cause I'm really not starving, but I'm afraid I'm going to be really starving. So it'll help you just learn how to slow down.
0: Right. Yeah. So to slow down and tolerate feelings and and also just have feelings.
1: And have feelings. Yeah, absolutely. That's just what embodiment is. It's like you have feelings and you can make room for it all versus like some being bad, some being good. Those are ones that I can only have sometimes when all those situ, all the like stars (laughs) align or all the people that I care about and make me feel safer in the room. It's like, um, no, (laughs) your <laughs> like, resources are good and, and you want to start with that but it's like if you're having a hard time going to a restaurant and eating and not feeling out of control mm. and you can only do that when your friends are there that's beautiful and it's a good start but eventually we want to be able to do that just because you're an adult and it's sometimes nice to go to a starbucks and have a latte and a scone and be okay with doing
0: that <laughs> yeah yeah i love how you say scone sorry <laughs> Distracted, but yeah, so it's embodiment, it is complex, but it's like foundational in terms of recovery. For like, Absolutely. and I'm talking, like, I mean, by the sound of it, that was the key to your recovery. To, yeah, to do was, this, I, stuff. You know,
1: I didn't know that at the time, but I just recognized that. Like, I'll tell you the first time I recognized it, I was, and it was not an experience that I recommend for anybody, but again, I was like <laughs> kind of flying blind because again, I didn't have we were talking about, I mean, I wasn't even talking about like somatic work and embodiment six years ago in my sessions. You know, I was talking about like coming home to yourself and using hunger, fullness work as a doorway into whatever it is else that's next for you in terms of fully living your life. I didn't really know exactly what that meant. But now I understand just because of we all continue to evolve is to know ourselves fully. It's like, you, you want to know, like you got to be in your body to know like what's right for you to do next or or to trust your instincts or to have the the internal resource. Like if somebody's kind of being critical of your journey to like, know that you're going to be okay, even if they don't get
0: it. Yeah. See, that's it. It's Embodiment gives you the power to not be normal and be okay with that.
1: Absolutely. That's exactly why I started doing that because people didn't trust that they were going to be okay. If I eat more food and I gain weight, I don't even know how to do that. Because again, that was so fractured when we were so young. So you're relearning that, and and part of Louise why I know people like you and I work so hard is that we want to be able to co-regulate with our clients to like learn how to do. That. That's why relationships are so important in recovery, and why isolation is the worst thing ever. Mm. And so we got to find some people that we can be around.
0: Yeah, we need to find people who get stuff. it. Mm. Yeah,
1: we. So if some people don't get it, well, we got to keep keep going and not stop. And that's why I know it's hard for a lot of people to take that step to like work with somebody like you or I because it's scary and we're gonna be, you're gonna be letting go of some of your thing that gives you a container for all these things you know like restricting and binging and purging and dieting and hitting your body mm-hmm. all seem like things you don't really want to do but they also have a function if <laughs> you, you know Anita Johnson and some of her analogies it's like that log that rubs you yeah and mm-hmm. destroys you as you're floating down the river you know it, it feels like it's keeping you afloat but really it's beating you up and like literally almost drowning you
0: yeah Yeah.
1: But so to do that is really pretty provocative to come to somebody like us. So, you know, to take that leap, a really big deal. So that's why we work so hard to be as embodied as we can on any given day, you know?
0: Yeah. What I love about embodiment is the sort of unshakableness that it gives you (laughs) because I often experience, I mean, I've I've also got a a head full of diet culture messages and a lot of inner self-judgment and criticism. And so I'm often up there with that. But what I love about learning the process of embodiment and trying more consciously to be there is that when I come into my body, it's nice and quiet. No matter what's going on, it's just there. It's just like this quiet, still presence that's, you know, it's still telling me a lot and sometimes the stuff that it's telling me isn't great but there's just a quietness (laughs) to it because it's not being constantly judged and scrutinised. It's just happening.
1: Yeah. And I think if, if somebody listening to this is feeling, well, my if I go my body, it's like, it feels like too much. I want you to get really clear. Well, is it your head that feels like a lot or is it literally a sensation that feels like too much? And so that might be the case for some people, even sensations feel overwhelming. And that's why we say, well, find a spot that isn't. It could be your kneecap. It could be your toe and start from that. And then what people start to find that they start to feel some calmness and then they can go tend to the other places that feel a little bit less comfortable.
0: Yeah, that's a really good tip. But to, I think also what I'd like people to hear is to make sure you find a therapist who's trained in this area to help you, especially if you do have a lot of trauma that's happened to you in your past because it's difficult to get through this stuff all by yourself.
1: Absolutely. Let me add, I'm going to go back to that story. Mm. I didn't really know what embodiment was and I didn't even have a name for it. It was just something that happened to me. It was, and probably people relate to this. And I don't mean, this is not, I don't need to do a trigger warning, but it was one of those days where it's like, I'd already restricted, I'd over, over exercise and i area already been. There wasn't much left to do that day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like 10 o'clock at night and I can't go anywhere. It's dark. And I'm going to leave my house. And I'm just, and I laid there on the floor because I just was so uncomfortable in my own skin and my thoughts were racing. And I laid on the floor no, and I was, like, it was like it was on the floor. It wasn't like a, it was my bathroom was with the tiles hard and cold, you know. And I lay there like I think I'm gonna die. This feels like I'm gonna die right now. This is just so much because of the sensation. Like oh my gosh, I'm full, and I mm. never let this be hardly ever. And so wow. I never you know, laid there, laying there, thinking this is I'm gonna die. This is these feelings are gonna kill me. I know it. And I laid there, and I laid there, and I and I let those thoughts come up of like, you know, this is gonna, I'm gonna be to weight. And if I gain weight, nobody's going to like me. And then nobody's going to love me. And I'll never get a, a boyfriend and I'll never have any friends. And I let myself just like do the worst cases. And I started doing that. And all of a sudden, I also started to feel my body like, oh, the floors. And this is like 20 minutes of this, by the way. Mm. And I started mm. to notice like, oh, I feel like... My butt's getting kind of numb on this cold, hard floor. <laughs> and I felt my shoulder blades. Oh, and it's kind of digging in. And then I felt my heels. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm right here right now. None yeah. of that stuff is happening. Holy cow. And this is the first time I'd ever, again, felt that much and like, let it be probably in with the whole 22 years I was alive. Wow. Uh, and then I started to recognize, oh, wait a minute. Okay. So even if that happens and I gain weight and nobody loves me. Well, the thing is, there are some things that will never get taken away from me, which is actually who I am. Yeah. And that started getting me to think a little bit more about, like, well, who I was, even if I gain weight. And so I just tell people, like, I know these sensations feel terrible. I'm not suggesting people do that. And then definitely don't do that on your own because, <laughs> again, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just felt like I didn't have an option. But that's kind of what that process is like. It's going to feel like a lot until then, one day it's like, oh, mm. these are just like beliefs and these are just feelings and okay so yeah. now all I feel is the floor on the back of my shoulders and my heels and now what do I want to do <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you stay basically you stay connected to your body during a difficult mental experience of shame and you kind I wouldn't
1: of advise that yeah it probably would have gone a lot better and been a lot less dramatic it was dramatic by the way I'm not even pretending it was it was very dramatic and mm-hmm. when we get in the presence of another yeah it creates all other level of healing like dramatic
0: yeah,
1: yeah. your know, presence so
0: yeah it's a really lovely practice to do to stay with yourself during a difficult time because it's kind of like that realization at some point like well yeah all of these thoughts are occurring all of these feelings are occurring but here I am you know butt on the floor or you know it's coming back to a grounded sensory experience, which is just my body having this. And that's a sense of safety that is always there for you and always available. And you know, in moments like that, people might turn to all kinds of stuff to sort of give them a sense of stability or anchoring. And that could be food or it could be alcohol, it could be drugs or gambling. But actually just coming into the body is a really nice alternative to all of those behaviors and it teaches you body trust on a really huge level. All of this is not normal, right? All of this is Oh,
1: thank you. That's <laughs> like the initial uh, the beginning of our talk here is that like yeah. you all, yeah, you know, where I live in the, in the United <laughs> States in the south is like it is not normal to walk around checking in with yourself how you're doing, how you're doing with hunger and fullness, how what you're eating is impacting you versus like living from the neck up and living in a fear like a a system that's based on fear like you know food rules are or like the latest diet is it's not normal but I just want to encourage you all to like it's oh normal in my opinion is really overrated
0: (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree I was talking on our little untrapped community to people the other night and they were talking about getting a, a weight comment like oh my goodness you've lost weight and people were talking and some of the people who've been doing the non-diet stuff for a a bit longer were saying, now when I hear a comment like this, I just kind of look at the other person like they're weird. Like like it's just to, you know, once you kind of get this whole idea of body acceptance and nothing needs to change in order to be okay, then comments like that really do start sticking out as odd. And Mm -hmm. that's just really cool. And I would prefer to live in that way, rather than sort of always trying to white knuckle being quote unquote normal, which is hating my body and trying to shrink it all the time.
1: Yeah. As you're talking about that, it's, it's, it's nice that I want to give people hope that when you first start off with this idea of hating the body less, the goal when I talk to people is like, I'm not asking you to love your body. Let's just start with hating it less. And yeah. just see the idea that they like, see the, the construct of like the idea that you should hate your body. It's like, it's, it was learned. We weren't born with that. It was a learned thing. Mm. So because our brains are pretty plastic. So I hear from neurobiology is we get a chance to unlearn that. And so, mm. It's, mm. but the tools for that are recognizing that it's a thing. It's a, a bigger cultural thing and not just something that's just wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's like, the culture that's sick that's telling you mm-hmm. that you're not okay. And I had a therapist actually one time tell me like, I don't know too many people that broke really, really free of like all the diet mentality without getting kind of mad. So especially <laughs> for those listening, who are kind of like squeamish about feeling mad.
0: This is especially for you <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, because us nice girls are going to have to get mad if you want to get free.
0: Yeah. What's that that phrase? Like nice girls don't change the world
1: something like
0: that. But yeah, getting (laughs) angry is part of it. And that's, you know, sort of why I've called the podcast All Fired Up because I am angry. I'm not angry at my body anymore. I'm angry at the conditions of our culture that disembodied me and made me feel like it was my fault. Yeah. Properly directed anger can change things. Absolutely.
1: And if you have a perfectionistic tendency, well, use that perfectionism to like really hone in on your hunger and fullness and what your body really, really wants versus all the rules that you've constructed for yourself or that were constructed for you that get internalized. Use yeah. that stuff.
0: Use it all. <laughs> the rules don't serve us. The rules don't serve our bodies. The rules only serve the culture. And once you see that, it's like stepping outside the matrix and looking in and going, well, I don't really want to live in there anymore. No, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, this is an amazing conversation. This is so good. And it's, it's lovely to hear that you're doing so much awesome work on such a really deep somatic level with people.
1: Yeah. Well, I just found that, like, again, we all need to go at different paces with this. And as dieticians, we weren't really trained to, like, go at this, like, kind of slower body pace and go up. I call it body time. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like body time is a whole lot different than head time. I think I've actually read and I have to find the refind the research. So again, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to go everybody like quoting this for me because I don't have it like quoted right now or the original source. But like I've read that like cognitive time is three times faster than body time, which oh, it takes wow. some time to mm-hmm. like, let's say you learn about intuitive eating and you read the book. It's going to take a while for that to feel like a yes in your bones. And for some of us, don't really trust our bodies or don't even want to be in our bodies, it might take a little longer and that's okay.
0: Oh, that's so nice. Take a while to feel trust in our bones. So good. Yeah. I
1: have clients ask me like, well, how, how did you get here? I'm like, I'll be honest. I learned all this stuff and I read the books, but until I felt it in my bones, I, I just wasn't really fully free yet. And once you get there, it's like, that's why I get so passionate. Why it's easy for me to talk about this every day, all day long. It's because I live it and I see the fruit and the freedom of it. And you can, and everybody can, people can have that. I have hope for everybody that like it takes it, what it takes. You know, it takes as long as it takes. It takes your journey. It takes whomever people you try and they're not the right fit. And you try somebody else, you do something different. It's available because we were born this way. That's why I have hope mm-hmm. for everybody.
0: Yeah. It's so good to hear you talk like that because I feel exactly the same way that I learned this stuff intellectually a long time before I felt it. In my body. And it's really difficult to explain, but once it gets down to that level, everything shifts in a way that just feels permanent and completely freeing. So, really, really good. So, allow it to take time, allow it to take a hell of a long time. <laughs> so, what we're sort of selling to people here is it's going to take a really long time to become abnormal.
1: <laughs> well, and I would say, like, I don't think it takes a long time to become an intuitive eater necessarily. I think everybody's journey is different. Like for example, it's, you know, and most people would agree that like the body image stuff is what takes a little longer because that was the first thing. It wasn't like for Mm -hmm. most people going on a diet, their first thoughts were like, Oh, my body's not okay. Or I better watch it because maybe one day if I don't watch it, I won't be okay. Yeah. It's always about the body first, like the body's not okay. And so we're kind of working layers backwards and you're doing body image work with intuitive eating, obviously almost all the time with most really good well-trained people, but behaviorally like who doesn't want to like trust their bodies and listen and eat with hunger fullness it's a practical thing you got to do day in and day out the hard part is when you wake up and you don't see your body reflected and still remembering like my body's still a good body even if I don't see it every day being celebrated
0: mm, mm, mm. that's much tougher but yeah, much more, time, much more meaning. yeah it takes more time but it's also much more meaningful because giving yourself permission to be alive, regardless, and to be treated with respect and kindness, regardless—that is uh, such an amazing feeling when you finally get it. And this whole idea of, you know, if in the big picture we've all been taught to disembody, but we can just as much unlearn that and come home to our bodies, and life can be like full of really awesome stuff. That's that's really cool.
1: Absolutely. Wow. And use that language. Use that like when you hear that like I feel fat" moment. You know, I feel fat. Of course, you've heard ad nauseum. You know, it's not really having mad, sad, or afraid. It's I feel uncomfortable. And go there. You know, that's mm-hmm. a decoding skill. Like every time you feel, I feel fat, or oh my gosh, I got to eat. And it's got to be the second. And it's going to be all that. And it feels, it has that much juice to it. Know that that's I feel uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I just implore people, don't abandon yourself in that moment. That is like a doorway in.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Go in there and have a look rather than run and do what it says. Because
1: food and body talk, I call it, says restrict, binge, purge, weigh yourself, go to X number, whatever, diet, use an app, do a thing, berate yourself, whatever. That's changed the body game to fix the I feel uncomfortable. We oh. can, our other alternative is to like, huh, what is, mm. you know, this is my doorway in. What is the message of this I feel fat? or oh my gosh, I got to eat,
0: mm.
1: eat, 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 yeah. eat, eat, whatever it is that we're going through.
0: Yeah. Is, this God. is... Go into the this uncomfortable. Is,
1: yeah, this is code language. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is code language, wanting your attention, and that's really also very loving, compassionate, and mm-hmm. binding to do. Because it's like, oh, I'm feeling discomfort as
0: a human being. What do I need? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, it's turning towards yourself rather than away. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for such an amazing conversation.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's. I feel privileged and blessed to get to like be where I'm at and talk to people about this. And it's just an honor. So thank you for having me.
0: Oh, thank you. And I'm sure this will not be the last time we speak. So keep up the great work and look after yourself.
1: Oh, Louise, thank you so much. Take care. And I can't wait to talk
0: to you again. Awesome. Take care. Thank you, Tracy. What an amazing conversation and I really enjoyed speaking with her today. I love getting deep like that with all of this kind of stuff and unveiling the complexity but also the hope of this non-diet approach. So thank you and that's it for this week. Next week, I'll be back with a huge steaming pile of diet culture filth that we can rake through. Thank you so much, everybody, for continuing to support the podcast and get in contact with me and let me know your thoughts and reactions to the various topics that we've raised and of course if you're pissed off about something and would like to unpack it here on all fired up please send me an email and let me know what's annoying you so louise at untrapped.com.au and we'll see what we can do about that and of course if you like the podcast please don't forget to subscribe go to itunes and sign up so you don't miss an episode when it drops And help us improve our ratings so we can get the message out to more people by giving us a lovely five-star review and telling iTunes how much you love us so we can get this message out further and topple the diet culture. If you're interested in learning more about the science behind the anti-diet approach, then go to untrap.com.au and download our free ebook, which is called "Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss Is Bullshit" by me and Fiona Willer, who's an advanced-accredited practicing dietitian here in Australia and someone who is really good at skewering the weight science and helping everybody get a more rounded picture of what the science actually says and how we can look after our health in a way that's not always obsessed with weight. And if today's podcast has got you thinking about your relationship with your body or with food and you're kind of interested in getting more in there, then think about joining our Untrapped community because Untrapped is a three-month masterclass, really, of information and experience and exercises and just a whole pile of stuff that really I help people to do in therapy. And this is all sort of put together in a beautiful three-month-long program called Untrapped and it really is changing people's lives and changing their relationships with food and their body and movement in really lovely ways. The information in Untrapped is not just me and my clinical experience but 12 other incredible anti-diet health professionals that You really will just learn so much from. And of course, our beautiful online community, which is just so active and so supportive and so lovely in helping people get through in this culture. And I think after today's topic, it just comes more sharply into focus, doesn't it? That when we're trying to get better, in a sick culture, it's really difficult and it's really important, I think, to have a sense of community and having other people around who are kind of your tribe, you know, having other people around who get it and who can support you in your anti-diet embodiment journey. Okay, that's it from me this week. Thank you once again for listening and I will speak to you all next week. In the meantime, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap, from the crap.